in this 154 episode of the Football Podcast, entitled "It's the Season Now, Kick It." So we've got questions on things like crank length. We have something about commuting. We have a heart rate question. Another heart rate question. Something about uh, lactic acid intervals. Aerodynamics, we've got loads of questions for wow. this lot. Uh, neuromuscular things, a couple of bits of uh, interesting news to do with the my nose, to do with uh, sailing, and, uh, and the gut to do with feeding. So there we go. Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by no pin suppliers of Burb Custom and Aero Clothing Platform. We're made in Devon. Innovators of the speed pocket, speed belt. Visit the website at nopins.com. Also supported by Cycle Racing and Pay for all your biking needs. Great brands such as Garmin, BT, Scott, Arabar, GoPro, Tax, Continental, Park Tools. Info Prime, Focus, Chipperino, it's all round here, it's all here. Come and get it. Come and get it while they're hot. Don't say that hot. <laughs> I'm Confucius Crocker and I'm joined today by <laughs> Coach Joe Beer. Yeah. How are you? Very well. Yourself? Yeah, you're full of it. I know you are. Yeah. The, the preamble has been um, unrecordable, I would say, but you are uh, you're, you're, uh, you're in front. I was just looking back at our um, reviews on iTunes. We had 40 written reviews, and looking at the feedback, I think I think we're hitting the mark. And if you have feedback, you can send it through the iTunes page, or you can send it directly to tweets, etc., which we'll give you the details again. So there are 55 ratings, of which 48 are five stars. It's just quite pleased with that. Brilliant. So, please give us your ratings. That's always appreciated. And we've got tons of questions. And I think, jump in there. And I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to give this chap called Ian Turner from Australia the first question of episode 154. Ian, you are uh, in a small group of no doubt to find people that get to start this wonderful uh, podcast that we do. So, congratulations. Right. His question is, hi Joe, love listening to you and Crocker on the podcast. I think I might have added that. Just for you. I'm slowly going through your back catalogue. I'm 56 years old and I've been road racing for the last 10 years. Three years ago I switched to time trials. I also started commuting to work three consecutive days a week uh, when committing. Each trip is 30k and usually takes around 1 out of 10. On the weekend I used to do a 2 hour ride in Z1. On Saturday I need to do a race on 
a Sunday, jump on the table and come out. Take Monday and Friday off as rest days. I've taken a plunge and I've started following your 80s training. My question is, what are your thoughts on using commute for your training, considering that they are only one-hour sessions? Are they still effective, or should I switch one of the days out and jump on the turbo for my commute? Many thanks, Peter. Perth, Australia. So it's probably as far away on this planet as it is. <coughs> yes. Um, there are lots of people that do commutes, aren't there? Lots of people that do commutes on their bikes. A uh, few people do. It's close enough, really not on this third day, but some people do like that. I think the issue with a canoe isn't the length of time, because Ian said, you know, it's only an hour and it's an hour ten. And you think actually 60 to 70 minutes done twice a day as stealth face training, that is, you haven't had to drive home, get home, to get off not be distracted or be collared to do something and then get the training session done. Sometimes the beauty of your commutes, as I'm sure many people uh, agree with this, is that you've got to ride home, you've got to ride to work, so you get the riding done that day. And if it's meant to be a base day, it's one of the most functional things to do. Because one could argue sitting on a turbo doesn't have any purpose to Whereas at least if you get on your bike and you can move, you've actually got that, I've been on my bike today, and I've not used the car, and I'm there for, you know, kind of like, not doing a bit of planet, but you've actually dovetailed your training into your lifestyle. So there is a benefit, I think, of this. And I don't have an issue with it being that way, because the thing is, if you want to make one of the 90 minutes, then just ride back slightly longer. It's not to say the return leg has to be easy, you can always say, well, I've got 90 minutes, right, I'll do you know, 20 minutes warm up, I'll do, uh, let's say, one to do um, some uh, specific intervals that are helping you with your time trials, you haven't got a time trial that week, you want to do something, and on the return leg after work, you do it, cool down, job done, taking maybe another 20 minutes on the return leg, you get home and you're done, yeah? The only question I'm going to ask is, in... Um, doesn't actually say whether the 30, each trip is 30k. Is that each trip to and from work? It must be, otherwise, yeah, each trip is 30k to work. So he's doing just under 30k Because otherwise, if he was going 30k, yeah, otherwise he's doing 15k an hour. That would be an awful slow break. If it was 30k total, he's taking an hour 10. Oh, I see what you mean. No, because each trip is 30 pair. Yeah. So if he said each day is 30 pair, yeah. then it would be yes. the total of each trip is 30 pair. But would I be, Joe, would I be right in thinking that the way I look at whether you add something to your training regime, so like when people, some people, I've heard some people say that they don't count the commute, but surely if it adds to your fatigue, yeah. then surely you should count it. Yeah, and they might be used to that, but to say they don't count it, it's like, the sat down, even if you sat down, let's say, on uh, transport, you sat down in the car, what you use like 15 to 30 watts, I've never measured any of the expenditure driving, but it can be much. So you consider most people commuting, probably using a broad brush stroke, let's say, 
and I'm trying to add data and kind of what they might have figured out. But it's not passing. So when people say they don't count it, it's like, well, of course you do. It, it might be an activity you've got used to, but if you did that and you were ill, you may be worse, because it's taken out so although you get used to doing it on a daily basis, to ignore it, it's quite nice if they can say, well, I naturally go to and from, and I get, even if it's half an hour each way, I get an hour every day on the bike. Brilliant. Your legs are always in the sense are always touching the bike and the circles. But if somebody ignores it, I think what they can do is, is find that there's a almost like a, oh, well, that's just, that's junk or don't really count, it wasn't two hours. I haven't read the paper, but there is a paper just out on trying to put together the combination of, you know where training zones are here, in terms of what part of your heart rate range But what is the most effective amount of time for each of those appropriate places? It's clearly you can do three hours in zone one, three hours in but for each of the zones, what's the best amount of time? And there won't be one like, best amount. There'll be various depending on are you trying to do you know, maximum stimulation, are you trying to uh, maintain form and therefore only just good enough, or are you doing a form of um, low key maintenance because that session isn't important for progression, which can be progressive and very fantastic now in every session. So I, I have to say, I think, so Ian, yeah, Ian was asking, um, would using commutes be okay for training, considering yeah. that they're only an hour session, yeah. or, would, um, or would it be better to switch to a proper um, training session, in inverted commas, um, getting, getting that, uh, that kind of, not going on a week? Because if he's going, you know, one hour, ten, in each direction, he's doing two hours, twenty. Um, for most people, if they did that day after day, and I know he's taking you know, Monday and Friday off, so I still think it's really useful. And I don't think you have to think of efforts to a part of it. But as I said earlier, if you do need to do efforts, it's, it's, you know, it's okay, you can warm up, you can do efforts in the middle, you can do a minimum amount of that, you know. Uh, are they still effective? I think so. And sometimes it's more effective than however else you get home. Then you have to sit on the turbo. Then that lasts for 90 minutes. It's like, no, that's probably not. That's probably not good time management. And it's not, it's not better to sit on the turbo. There might be times where you find that the, um, uh, the intensity of what you're doing is a bit hard. Let's say he's got a, you know, a stonking headwind, it's a really you know, stormy time. You might think, I'm not going to drive today, but I'll come back tonight with the turbo. And that's all right if the turbo happens. You don't know whether you know he's got you know, uh, two kids, ten dogs, four budgerigars, whatever, that, that things can get in the way of people's training. They can do the commute because they're at work and they've got to get home. So those two things happen for the most part. But when you've got to get home and do a session, Sometimes those sessions don't happen. Or people say, I got home, I felt so tired, I really didn't want to do it. And sitting on the turbo whilst it's a, yeah, it's a, um, it's a means of getting your riding up, 
I'm sure most people's commute has allowed them that little cycling break between home and work and work and home. And it's under your own steam, and if you're not in a rush. I, I think so many unquantified parts of commuting are thought of as being not significant enough because it's not as good as sitting on the turbo and doing X efforts. You might find the efforts are more controlled on the turbo. It might be better because you can use a race bike, but when you commute, clearly you're going to be using your, um, you know, your commute bike as opposed to a hardcore race bike. And as you're doing, you've said, you know, you switch to time trials. Some of the times you'll be on a different bike, riding to or from work in switch off mode can be quite good. Because perhaps one day you say, well, why not ride home? Um, it's an hour ten, and maybe do some efforts towards the end, or you actually decide to take the, take the race bike, go to work on your race bike, not with your problem with your discipline, etc., etc. But ride there, ride back, that gives you time on your race bike, which is important. But on the homeward leg, you can actually do some proper efforts and, and vary it up, but don't think that there's this idea that commuting is ineffective. It's clear. I think it's so good. When you don't commute, a lot of times I work um, from my home office and you sort of miss commutes. And when you've got to go somewhere, um, I go to uh, uh, the basketball, here doesn't count, kilometers right doesn't count. But riding, you know, 12 kilometers to another place helps because it's okay to the bike. And it doesn't matter that it might only be 30 minutes, it's actually that you're on the bike, you're pedaling, you're doing something that's fresh air. So I, I think the commute should be seen as a, you know, for people that never get to do it, there's some people listening now, every day, have to go on, um, I don't know, on some kind of, uh, uh, maybe, uh, tube, train, bus, and they've got no real really difficult for them to ride a bike. They'll be listening thinking, oh, wow, that bike's got one hour technique, that's so perfect, I'll really great. And we've got here, like you, because you sometimes have ridden, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also, another thing to look at is if, you're, if you are genuinely pushed for time, and I know everything comes into play now, whether that be, you know, your work, your, your social life, your family life, I think you've got to then be as efficient with your time, your, your free time to train is more valuable than anything else. Um, when I say it, it's more valuable, it's more valuable to you, um, that, that two hours that it might take you to get to and from work is then more valuable as training time. So, you know, I don't see why you wouldn't use it as a session. If you just said you could have an hour, it's only an hour, it's only an hour there, it's an hour back. But two hours is a good training yeah. session. Whether it's a split <clears> session, <throat> doesn't matter. But I think it just depends on how time poor you are. Yeah. You know, that, that makes the, the top up or if not gives you the icing on the cake as from getting the extra miles you need to I think I'd add one final point and that's a commute is good but it shouldn't be the um, commitment someone says I'll ride every day five days a week every day and never take day never take day off because it, at some point you're going to be riding to work with a chest with really sore legs and face, with a sense that you're rushing because uh, you really didn't have the time, but you thought you had to do it because it's this, you know, it's this commitment to never, never, you know, never take the car or whatever. 
that surf boy, sometimes you just think. Take your car, take your bus, grab a, grab a ride with somebody, but not to see, almost on the flip side of his that, you know, you can only commute, if you don't commute on your bike, you know, it's be a good bike ride. I think there's a happy medium, and sometimes when it's weather, you can see people, um, you know, starting onto the bus instead of going on bike. That makes sense. It doesn't work to train every day. If, if it was, I've got to do 90 minutes, right? ride to and from the turbo, sometimes it's don't do either, you're not well, or that you're so tired, just forget it, give yourself a day off. And you have got your day off, which is good. So he's definitely in the middle ground of common sense. He's not saying, oh, every day, never, never miss a day. And you hear some people say that, and you think, well, either you're kidding yourself, or you really are doing yourself no use, because no, no body weighs a <coughs> human body, and is ready to do it all over again, every day, do the same thing. Every day, yeah, but at a certain point, you just and if you do time trials, and then you find the next day, do say a Sunday ride, next day, Monday, oh, blimey. Well, luckily, he is smart enough to say, oh, it's only smart to get back on the bike on Monday. And if after a while, you're going to hate riding the bike. It's, um, it's not, you know, commuting is not a, uh, uh, a religious kind of call. You don't have to say, well, now I've said I'm going to do it, I'm never going to get off it. I remember when I commuted, and it was probably less than 40 minutes. Some days it was great, some days it was horrible because it was just like, oh, I should have got the train first, but it wasn't the sound. So, great question, and great that we're getting somebody in Australia sending us a question. Well, he's in his midwinter days, and we're in our midsummer days. So, two points from that. So, one, you can use your commute as a track, but would you say, you should have it structured, or should it just be an additive to the base level slash recovery? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, sort of. But I think with, with the commute, he's still got a structure that, you know, Monday, and I'm sure it's like most Mondays does the most Fridays. It depends whether it's been the TT, how it's feeling. I think if you consider it, it is potential stealth time, which could be just zone one work, or it could be on return leg, once you're warmed up, you do specific so you can choose what you want to do. Nobody says, you know, commute's got to be um, the next attempt to try and get every strive on the way home. But at other times, you can use a commute once you've warmed up thing. It's even better. You don't have to ride home and then do intervals on the turbo. I can actually, you know, ride and do uh, high-intensity work as part of the commute. And this does assume that this is safe enough um, sort of road uh, terrain and, and traffic flow to allow you to do it. So, great yeah, question. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. This is, um, this is a, a question from uh, Chris Frank. Chris has actually sent us um, some previous questions, actually. Um, for quite a while, I, I coached Chris, actually, and uh, he sent me this uh, uh, from, uh, actually from America just after having done um, Alcatraz, um, which the swims cancelled. So, I could have done that. What did you do? Oh, yeah, I've done Alcatraz, but I didn't swim from the island. You know, it's like, oh, it's from the island. It's the whole big thing about it. Safety first. Safety first. Well, because of... Um, um, I think the... Uh, something to do with water. <laughs> water being too wet. His question was um, not related to that at all. Um, uh, and it was, um, it was... It was starting, actually, a day before we said... Uh, da, 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 da. I had... Um, a couple of these this year, that is notifications um, for training peaks. 
it thinks I should increase my cycling threshold. Um, we set a 135 volume cycling test um, with face masks many years ago, so we had like a um, and he said, I've always ignored them, um, i.e. these, um, these, these uh, threshold notifications. Uh, but the fact that I'm quite easily maintaining 40 minutes in 72 and 20 minutes in 73 on the same ride indicates, maybe, um, that I should raise the barrier and understand uh, that uh, there's a bigger thing um, that if, um, just how reliable are the that results? Um, I'll be just for that day. Um, and she said, none of mine seemed right. Remember, the top of zone one was supposed to be going to two, but everyone else would call that a walk. We ended up using one five two. And all on together could tell that was right. And I was closer to nosebleeding protocol than the lab results. So this is where we were looking at the training camp nosebleeding protocol saying, I could be far higher than the lab results say. Um, so in his, and in his case, he said, save money. So uh, uh, then, if the bike lab results were right, how could I spend two hours and four minutes in zone two on the Google Concept 3? So he's questioning lab results versus real life data. Um, my general feeling is that these calculated results are just as good as anything else as they're taking your heart rate over a prolonged period, which is what we do, rather than a short ramp test and a kind of crowdsourced uh, uh, data, um, unless you know better. So, I, I have, with this, I find, I mean, I've read quite a few books from... Ooh! I'll give you a read a couple big, of big books. Big print, lot of pictures. Lot of pictures, um, yeah. There are, are pro athletes, whether they be triathletes, duathletes, uh, riders, mountain bike riders. And you have a distinctive kind of divide between guys that test well yeah. and guys that race well. Yeah. Now, I would like to think that you do both well. <laughs> no, I don't do either well. That's the problem. You know, th there are guys that do test very, very well. Yeah. Um, in the lab under kind of very, very strict uh, conditions. You know, like, like Joe does for his ramp test. But there's also guys that then don't do too well on the ramp test. Then go out and race and get good results. But then those results still are based on tests. Mm. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get, yeah, sometimes you get good testing and sometimes you get guys that are Now, if, for instance, you've got guys that haven't been into the lab, haven't done a, a kind of turbo test, but they've taken their race data and then converted that to help them with their training zones, are we talking this being too high? Are we talking this being, um, being about right? Um, I, th I think so. Of three of other <laughs> No, I, th I think it's it's sometimes they're all right, but they're not all comparable. So, for example, people do a max test and they're seated, they're driving their legs, um, they are indoors, and there's some, they're sometimes also in a situation where. The classic protocol for ramp test, there were, you know, there were different sort of British cycling, different um, uh, you know, critical power 20 minute tests and so forth, and then you've got the ramp test that starts at 100 watts and goes watts. I don't think anyone does good at one test and somehow the data in the real world 
can't really capture it. I think it all starts pointing to this sort of thing. Chris actually on the bike is a very strong cyclist. And he uh, he found I think in real world that the you know the heart rate numbers were higher. Now sometimes that is because you know this seated data is different to when somebody starts getting out of the saddle. They're climbing up a hill, and as they climb up a hill and they go side to side to side, particularly with well-muscled guys, yet the body is brought into play, there's an element of inefficiency which means that you're starting to not just drive the pace, you're doing the as well. And people say, oh, yeah, they've got much higher heart rate pills. And you're like, see, did I know that's sad? Well, then you're not measuring your legs, you're measuring the body. So it is possible that some life data is different to lab data. It can also be, you've uh, obviously seen this in cyclocross, that if you're balancing a lot more precariously on a bike and you're skidding around, there's sometimes other situations where you're riding right in somebody's wheel and you're doing a, you know, a two-up or a four-up time job as an element of nervousness, nervousness in pack racing and stuff. What you can get is the heart rate really reflects not just work mode, but other things layered on top. Nerves, um, your ability to balance or the fact that it's a very dodgy day under the tyres and you're skidding all over the place. So people, typically in cyclocross, have quite a bit of sensitivity. And I think um, Chris has Chris is, um, got a very valid point, which is his actual race data, and effective race data, not just pulling out the best bits, but he found that he was just higher in the real world compared to lab data. Sometimes it means that person in the real world, when they're riding, just creates more beats per minute for the same workload. Because remember, when you're indoors, there's no balance. So the amount of work you do at the pedals doesn't include any additional muscles to balance your upright. Hence, elite testing is often done on one of these big motorized turbulence, uh, a bit like the tax system. It means that you're having to balance and move the bike about which may be something like 10 watts, it may be something like 8 beats, but there is additional work there that if you were doing that max test on the road, you would get more beats per minute. And I think you should never really take a number and say, oh, I once got such and such, and that's what I'm going to use. As we get older, the heart rate often, I think, does gradually decline in terms of what I see people capable of doing in races, in terms of what they feel is now their base level. And therefore, the simple do a nose breathing, see what your heart rate tends to be when you have to transfer from nose breathing across to breathing. And at a certain stage, you say, I'm definitely not nose breathing, I'm breathing too hard, I must be in the zone too. Then look at race data. As long as all these things, you can plug them into the right percentages, particularly for triathletes that cannot work at the maximum percentage. You need to be careful that they still got the ground. I think there's, within Chris's data, there was a point where, as he said, and I've, I've forgotten that we, you know, we nudged his zones up compared to the lab because his real world data just showed that he actually could, he could push harder or at the same power he was creating more beats coming And it doesn't question lab data, um, it just means you have to be able to know why. Could that be different? Ah, because there's no balance. Or ah, that was a really hot day and I was climbing out. So 
you know what, that was just absolutely um, up to the hill on my uh, on my charger, and uh, and I was really so motivated, so able to push it. Really hot day. Well, I remember heart rates I've never seen before because heart rate is an indication of how hard you're working. Power is a good guess. Some systems are better than others at telling you you are doing what you think you do. Some systems are about the number generators. So nothing is foolproof, and the athlete doesn't want to question themselves. I've had people already this year who got the Moero, they're riding faster, but they're sort of saying, you know, words to the effect of, I'm not feeling the power was a year ago. And it's like, we don't know that was the power. So it's important, I think, you know, with all these things, heart rate, bad results, to, to sometimes, um, and Chris was very good at, at, at keeping me on the ball to make sure we didn't stick to a number and ignore some of the real world data that we've got. Because if, we, if there's real world data, um, we could get, um, we could almost get confused by what people can do out racing and training, and then you say, oh, that's not possible because your lab data is X. Lab testing, as you said earlier, there's some people that can do it really well. Some I think also, is it, are we, would it be right to say that, you know, you, you do, the protocol that I use is do a test just before I'm going to start my winter block. I use those up until I get to a point where I, feel as though I am fitter, and then I kind of do another test, which is normally then kind of the races and starts out like that. Um, I then use those figures to then adjust my training zones, then go and do my racing, but I don't really test it then, then until the following, following winter. Um, you know, should it be something that we should be looking at doing a bit more regular testing, or I, I know to, to kind of to, to be behind the scenes is a bit difficult. For People listening, I know, but Joe can come up. Basically, he could do a max test. He would never mention numbers. He would never mention names. But he could say, oh, I can tell you what, about approximately, you know, for a set amount of time, and, and you know, before the, the test, the test is done. Because normally, when the test is done, it comes out and within kind of ten percent. So, you know, you can listen to that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Normally, normally you can get it bang on and, and show the people this is what I thought you'd get, get it. Because if you know somebody's performance, particularly talking wattage and um, not so much running, you should be able to say this is probably what they use. And with this, you know, if, if people get hung up about uh, testing, you don't want to be, oh, I've got to test. You know, you race. Yeah. You, you challenge yourself on a climb and you want to see how, um, as my nephew said, the uh, break one mile time. You know, it's really kind of like, it's really fun to sort of hear when you say that. Get his, get his, get his, his, you know, it's, it's point to point, type of run time, that. But you don't want to always be going back to the lab. Oh, yeah, but the lab doesn't that. If you know you're going well, or if I know an athlete's going well, I can see it in lots of different areas. It can be the comments, it can be how well they're recovering, it can be the positive mood set about what they're doing. The fact they do base stuff and they're flowing along but the heart rate's really low. Or the fact that when they do quality they are really at the top end of where they uh, should be. And therefore the numbers, the effort, or just what they feel is me on a good day actually comes true. And you don't want to be then having to think about that produce it in an indoor test. An indoor test, when you're in form, is sometimes interesting. But 
as we've seen, you can come back and try and do multiple peak power tests and end up with the same job. And with with that in mind, do you just want to keep going back to prove that it's pretty much set? Unless you're in your teens and into your early twenties and still developing, test somebody at 30 and go on a bike for a while or 40 or 50, you're probably going to get the numbers that you spend, and those numbers are going to be fairly fixed. It's not to say they can't be more economical, they can't use the reports better. If it's a, a measure of running speed, it's not to say they can't be uh, lighter, they can't use the right shooter to run more efficient. But I think, you know, we don't want to get hung up. I love numbers. And I'll do certain, I did a certain plant test earlier on this week actually, but it was just to sort of find at certain wattage what was my heart rate and just said, yeah, yeah, that's where I thought I would be. But it's not to, you know, if there's something wrong, then it's like, well, okay, it's only a damn bit. Um, if you're really ill, you don't want to step up, oh, I've still got to do that test just to see where I'm at. Sometimes we do submax tests and people aren't that well, just to see, okay, how bad is bad? And I'm not about people being seriously ill, I'm not about people going, Right, do your benchmark just up to um, 200. Now, for somebody with 200, I know it's there. It's a 10 mile time drive through 200. It's a nose bleeding out of one nostril. It's individual, but you know, basically work up to about 50 60% of the power. Um, not for long, one minute ramps, um, and hold maybe three minutes again. Just to see, okay, if you feel bad, what does the numbers show? Because then you've always got that as a reference point. But, you know, Garmin. Training peaks, other software can give you this indication. We think you're really good at this point. It may be so, and I think Chris's might have shown that maybe it was, uh, I don't know when that flashed up. Did it flash up when he's away? It's hotter, it's got a high heart rate, it's nudging up his threshold just because he's got more beats per minute per second. Or is it that actually he's quite fit and therefore it's giving him uh, you know, a nudge in the right direction? Don't ever be a parameter, be a heart monitor. Now, don't ever think the numbers don't um, don't have as much uh, validity as how you feel. If you feel about right and the numbers seem still a little bit off, if somebody said the other day, oh, I've got people, yeah, but the watts weren't quite as good as I expected. I'm like, you're going faster, or you know what, it was a well controlled run because you paced it right, or actually that sporty thing, you really did dig yourself into a hole on that last time. Point. And I think you want to, you know, you want to get data, but not get just absolutely bamboozled by their own numbers. And your numbers, after a while, own them. Because they're your numbers, and you're not suddenly going to find 25%. I mean, we can find some miraculous, like, drag and aero and body weight changes that might be possible. Some people have already got that to build. But most people are nearer to their maximum ability than they realise. And there's a lot more to lose, and it becomes a lot more like work every time you think about, oh yeah, I've got to do another, you know, do another you know, 20 minute TT test, but to find out exactly what it was two months ago, do it in a race, then get your racing done, do your heart rates, etc. But don't get almost like lab-based, where you're always trying to beat a lab number. And, and also I think the, the risk of Maybe going, oh, I've got a new, um, uh, a new kind of threshold. Going, you know, talk to your coach and, and, and say, like, for instance, like Chris has done with Joe, just turn around and go, well, you know, I've got, a, you know, I've got this come through. Is it worth me taking this? Is it worth me trying this? But I think, like Joe says, you have to then go back to the 
fundamentals of how that was achieved. And if it was it a race, was it hot, was it cold, who was stressed, who was happy, and the other. And you, there's loads of other factors to take into account. And then when you do adjust that, you think, no, it's, it's right. Then, but you said it's the amount of time, beats that you've done at a certain time, isn't it? Yeah. For, for, to get that new, that new threshold. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's the other thing too. You shouldn't be scared to change it. Just think it can wear on the common sense. Uh, actually, I did this test when I was relatively fit. Got some pretty good results. Uh, or I might be worth changing it and just seeing how that goes. And then if it doesn't work for you, you've always got the benchmark to go back to. Them. So, but don't change. Don't, change, don't train. Don't change training things just because you think zone one is too slow. But, you know, zone one is meant to be easy, relaxed, no food. Um, don't get a kick out of it, fine, wait till your race is between quality sessions. Don't keep bumping up where you think zone one is because it isn't quite quick enough. In essence, there's certain percentages your race should tell us you are thinking a lot of different And this paper that I will finish off in the next few days just tries to put together what's the best heart rate and duration and therefore intensity times duration and which links into the previous question about And it actually brings me on to the next three of them that come together. Um, there's a chap called, he's just called TT, he's um, at Azo71TT, yeah. Yeah. and it was, a, it was a Twitter response to something that I put out, and I said, uh, 2017 clients now get CRR, which is coefficient of resistance, and aero lessons learned from that bio race aero, uh, but nothing beats an actual session. So this is saying that you, know, you can get some tweaks and some hints, which weren't via what the ergonomic uh ergonomic bar race assistant teach us. At the same time, you can't buy and say, well I think I'll do the same position as Terry Martin I like how uh, Sebastian makes it to the right time to in. It's so individual and it's listening to the different content. What things aren't right, you know, can we do your ergonomics and Mr Azo said, hi Joe, any difference in the end result using hills compared to flat terrain to obtain lactate or higher zone heart rate training in the bar? So this is slightly different, this is actually coming into an he's talking about actually um, higher heart rate zone training and whether it's hills, flat terrain, um, to obtain lactate or higher zone heart rate training. So it's actually looking at the, the heart intensity. And I just said, there's a question Podcast. In a sense, what are you trying to do with your muscles? If you go up hills, you will have an obvious different pedal style because you won't have you know, the same momentum, you've got gravity pulling you back down. That's different to on the flat, where sometimes actually getting, as, as, is, as is said by people, getting on top of the gear can be difficult once you can run away from you because you haven't got something to push against. Unless you do it into a Say really um, firm headwind, or it's on a rough surface and it never lets you have easy. Sometimes doing intervals, particularly when you're trying to get into the uh, 
um, the, the lactate combination zone and some higher heart you want something to make you work against it. If it suddenly ebbs away, you stop working. And those that use pounds will notice that they do the whole interval, but it drops away. My plan is on intervals uh, in Dewan and and Turbos that to keep on it, you've really got to focus. Because the moment you lose concentration, you know, 290 suddenly drops down to 275, you didn't even think about it. Whoa, 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 back up again. On the road, that is happening all the time. And the one advantage of using heels compared to back to legs, you've got something there that will make you push constantly. You could still ease off, but I think it's easier. The only difference is you have a different momentum headway. So the experts on the sort of momentum say, you know, it might make you stronger, but you will be pedaling differently to somebody um, that is sort of on the flat and is still keeping the same. So it's, I suppose I'd say, you know, is, is, uh, is it out? If you are, to be fair, both of them have um, benefits. And he's, you know, disabled to obtain lactate or heart rate zone, higher rate training. So um, it's a slightly confusing question. I'm just trying to say, to, to obtain lactate, so don't let people maybe, you know, higher lactate or higher zone heart rate training. And to get up to, we're talking about this threshold, if you have a bound meter, then you work at the threshold level, which early on you feel easy, but two minutes, three minutes into an effort, you start to notice that power is really starting to, um, you know, fight into the legs. But if it's threshold, it's doable, you've just got to reset your brain, particularly if you've had a while between the last second. So sometimes you just have to do, but once I do this, going to be easier. And I quite like a ramp test that actually goes up past threshold. I would rather do a ramp test that goes up to um, 10 more times like that, which is above threshold, and then come back down and do uh, either the intervals go slightly back up to the same point. I think it's easier to reset it one minute above the threshold, come back down and do intervals at the threshold longer periods. Because you just reset what feels hard, if you go up to, um, sorry, these numbers won't hurt later, but if you go up to like 300, 310 in a lab test, and then come back down, what you notice is going at like 275 to 80, some of those okay, I've got to go back up now, but for longer blocks of time, I'm feeling blocks on. But if you just go up to, let's say, for example, 250, and then try and do 270 to 80, it's Every time you're going somebody that I've been there, and that's the same with time trial so you want to go up to at least near to what you're going to do, at least to find the break. And over and under. <laughs> over and under, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I prefer, I don't, I prefer it to be a known amount. The idea is sort of varying it. You, want, you need to stay at that, you know, stay at that threshold point, both threshold points for about four minutes. Um, and there's loads of different intervals, there's a whole host of ones that are effective. But I think, what this chap is saying is, you know, um, is there any difference in the end result using pills compared to back to leg? And there's a there's a slightly different type of mechanic. I I would still do uphill intervals in a low tuck and sometimes do it on the T tuck position to really get used to the position of strain. But it's almost like for every specific that is slightly different, ultimately we're still doing many things at the same. And if you want to do it absolutely to race, you know, to race the effort, then you have to 
do it as per the terrain, you have to work exactly as you put it. And sometimes the difference in doing it on different terrain makes you rethink how you calculate it sometimes in a way. It wasn't until I went up here that I realised that it's completely different on my bike when I need to move my saddle or if crossing is more stronger. Is it that I put it in too small to do the spin when there's nothing in front of it, i.e. there's no resistance, there's no hill? So it's it's never to complicate it, but I think if you're doing the right amount of work, then your legs will tell you, as you said, it bites, it starts to sort of work. Having looked at the force on the pedals, it is different. Like this turbo stuff is a different page, uh, sort of place in the page compared to when you go on the road and you've got some momentum so that the, the sort of the velocity of what you're doing is in a different place. And that's possibly possible. And there isn't like, oh there's a massive difference there, you're gonna be so much better if you do this versus that. Each of them has its benefits on the road, you handle the bike, and you've got to keep an eye on what's happening in front of you. You want to double the and have to have in a straight line. Some people will sit in the pillow and well, but they get on the road and do open place. So it's it's always um, specificity, but it could be as much as where you're sat on the bike. How are you finding this particular lactate? So you're waiting for it, and that leads me on to the next question. Oh, look, look at this seamless. Seamless, seamless yeah. Because this guy, this is a different one, Michael O'Connor. This this almost shows me. You just chucked the note. No, Michael O'Connor. No, it's only said Michael O'Connor. You don't say O. Don't make me take that. Michael Connor, anyway. Michael Connor, yes. Um, should you go off at an intensity that results in the desired heart rate, letting heart rate rise through the first part of a hard bike moment? And I think what he's trying to say is you know do try and like whack it up and get the heart rate up okay and heart rate will climb you can see this oh but you can see Lord. this you can see this but the uh but the uh listeners cannot this is a heart rate graph this was actually i was thinking i'll take an interview and i'll look at it whilst we're, uh, whilst we're here to see the difference between if you are doing um an interview on say the this is an indoor scenario, what happens to your uh, heart rate. So, for example, this is a four-minute interval at some point, but it tells us my smart train, that's, that's 300 watts. Now, the wattage starts, so if you can picture this, listeners, the wattage starts, it's already up to the 304, okay? Heart rate is still down in zone one. It takes it probably the whole, I've measured out the whole first 33 seconds. But no, sorry, the first 1 minute 40. So this is me, so I can talk about this data. So for a minute 40, I'm doing 300 watts, and it says average 3 or 4. But the heart rate starts down in the, I'm guessing, just because I haven't got the whole time scale, I'm guessing that's like something like, say, 140, 135. Climbs up and eventually hits target heart rate, which this says you know, the maximum was 165. So it hits target heart rate, but it's taken 100 seconds to get. However, the work done has already been worked. Okay? So you can argue that you're already doing the work. Don't wait for a minute 40 for your heart rate to go up, because you're then adding on the time. And you're not 
training the heart so that the heart can easily do it. It's the legs that are actually, you know, the legs that work. So for that first minute 40, it averages 153. There were actually peaks out at the target heart rate was high. If you take the final part of that interval, which is um, just under two minutes 30, what you get is the same wattage plus or minus two, so three watts. But now the average heart rate is 166, so pretty much bang on what the target heart rate was to start at 165, okay? and it goes up to 168. So you've reached what I would call the sort of uh, the it's almost like the ebb and flow. So the wattage is maintaining the same, 302, but the heart rate is now exactly mirror. Yeah, it's within two beats. Yeah, it's going from 166 yeah. to 168, it doesn't go any higher. So if you start the work and wait for the heart rate to get to your desired zone, in this instance, and I can only think, I can't think I'm that, you know, I can't think I'm that um, different. This was not the first interval, so this wasn't starting literally on rest. So there were preceding intervals. So the system was ready to go up heart rate-wise quite quickly. There was four minutes between, it was probably somewhere in the 130 start the interval, okay? And that is the point, start the interval, not with, you know, not with a sense of you're wasting time, get enough recovery, do the workload, but in this instance, it was 100 seconds before the, before the heart rate said, oh, yes, you're doing 300 watts. I had been doing it from a minute or two earlier, and people without power meters typically fail to see that they're already doing the work, but the heart rate is climbing and climbing and climbing. And it doesn't go, it, it doesn't shoot at. I know, um, I know, okay, I've been doing it quite a few years, but I can't think my hemodynamics is looking for the people. That is quite a stiff effort for me. 165 is, you know, is, is, um, is sort of, you know, a bit cross-eyed and thank God the fourth minute's over. But it's repeatable in a sense that exactly at 3.02, it holds within a two-week window. So the body and the effort are mirroring one another. Early on, you can almost be either overshooting because you don't know without power how, how, how far do I go? I'm only doing 130, 30 seconds in, yeah, but it's still only, it's still only, run, it's still only like 151 and it goes up quite steep. And maybe it's worth actually posting this on, uh, I think I might have already posted it, but I will post it on Twitter to just show you how these, um, these heart rates differ. And, and what it would suggest is that um, Michael said, you know, should you, should you go off at an intensity that results in the desired heart rate, letting the heart rate rise from the first part of the heart biking? Yes, you should, because that's what has to happen. You are doing the work. It's just that the heart rate is taking, in this instance, a minute 40 to catch up. But it's not a waste. So there's not a minute 40's um, wasted training because you're not training your heart. You're training the legs, and the legs say, yep, 304 watts um, for the first minute 40. And therefore, sometimes, I mean this, look, the, the interval stops, and within seconds it's dropping off. So sometimes, I've seen in research that if you do, this was, was this 3 by 4 4 by 4 it was, I don't know, 12 to 16 minutes of hard work. You put 12 minutes or 16 minutes in your hard work block. Even though, in this instance, a minute 40 of each interval wasn't actually hard work. 
So yeah. I guess what Mike is saying is, is, does he start the interval from the point that his heart rate hits no. desire? No, he starts from the point you start the work. Because yes. it's the work interval that you're measuring, not the heart rate. And this research often says, we know of this lag in heart rate. So if you're doing four by four and you do it to the right level, we know the heart rate doesn't show that you've exactly hit zone three the whole time, but you have, because the power is there. Now, if you obviously do 16 minutes and you didn't let up, you'd only have one one minute 40 and the rest, the 14 minutes 20, would all be in zone three. Therefore, you'd say, oh, great, didn't really lose much time. But what the sports scientists say often, if an athlete's doing, uh, what, no, I know I can do that set, therefore I know, okay, four minutes, four minutes is four minutes of hard work. If I do four of them, okay, that's a 16 minute hard session. Even though if I look at the data within that particular session, it might say, well, there's a minute 40 lost um, at three times. That actually ends up being four minutes work you can do. So it says, oh, you did 12 minutes of hard work versus 16 minutes of hard work. So I think you do start your, maybe your psychological stopwatch, or you start the sense of, am I working quite hard? Yes. Start it at the beginning to start the work. Don't wait until you get to a decent heart rate and say, oh, interval started now. Because your legs are already telling you within a minute you're doing it. Um, and I wasn't watching that. It was only afterwards I thought, oh, look at that. How long does it take? And it was, you know, I was looking at power. I wasn't watching heart rate. I was just looking at power. There wasn't a this for wow, it took a minute 40 to get up to where I wanted to be, yet my legs, if you'd said, how long does it take? I'd have said, well, my legs knew straight away. Therefore, only with power do you get a sense of, you know you're doing the right amount of work. There's no questioning. Even though the heart rate took that long, you can almost stop questioning yourself. Because by the time you get to definitely two, if you remember what I've said before, about using three minutes, but by three minutes, exactly as this shows, you're in equilibrium with what you do. And hence, there's many lab tests whereby you do three-minute workloads, because if you did a minute workload, what it actually shows is you're never really on top of that wattage until you get to maybe a minute 40. So if you sometimes have short intervals, you can almost not look like you're doing as much work when you measure heart rate compared to a long interval. If I kept that down to 10 minutes, it would only look like I've lost a minute 40, the other eight minutes 20 have done hard work. Whereas actually the work should be measured on power. And this is why power systems work, is that you actually measure what you're doing now, not what your heart is just about to um, accommodate. Or the fact that we're aerobically starting at you know, 120 beats, now you head off, that might even take two minutes then to get out of control. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and looking at the graph actually gives it, makes more sense um, from what you power to the heart rate, like yeah. you said, you, you channeled it off that one minute forward, yeah. where you've already done a one minute forward to work, but your heart is still doing that one minute forward, but it's taking its time to get to where yeah. it's desired yeah. kind of resting place. Yeah. And the reason being is that in between intervals, and this is where some researchers said, look, don't skimp on intervals, but the important part about recovering between intervals is that it's the work done that you're trying to measure, not how close you can cram them together. So the work done is the important thing. If you do your you know, three to what's four minutes, that's brilliant. It doesn't make it more effective if you only had a minute off. And sometimes people start scrimping with the recoveries instead of actually you should be trying to do more work. 
So do four minutes, but give yourself four or five minutes recovery and go back into quality. Because what's shown is it's the stimulation of the work that makes the difference. Not if you start, in effect, reducing the recovery. That therefore means there's lactate building up between efforts. And therefore you go into the next effort and straight away your heart rate shoots and your legs go blimey. This is really, 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 really hard. So there is a, a bit of jiggly poke. You've got to find the right place. But I think it shows that power, and certainly with experience of what works for you, don't worry about heart rate lag. Don't worry that you feel like you're doing quite a hard effort at this time, but oh, a minute in it doesn't look like it's too high. Your heart rate could still be creeping up. You know, it could still creep up another, you know, 10 beats or more in the next, um, what would that be, in the next uh, maybe 20 seconds. So power, I set off, thought, well, this is going to be hard. If I set off on heart rate, I bet I'd have got it wrong. I bet I would have gone, oh, I can go a bit off this, this it's only two minutes in where it really shows what I'm doing. And I think if you've only got heart rate and you don't have power, try and use something like cadence or set gear so that you know that when you start that interval, you're roughly doing the amount of work you expect to do and wait for two or three minutes to go, oh, yeah, blimey, that's firm. Okay, drop down. Because if you wait or you overcook those early bits, you can then notice that somebody's work like goes really hard to start with and what you want is a solid effort. And so it's the work done in the interval that is key, not whether you cut the recoveries down and not whether you have this um, you know, big spike of power at the beginning and then it drops down. But these longer, you know, uh, three, four, six, eight minute periods, you want to have a, almost a sense of what you're doing at the end is as strong and as efficient, and I was really conscious of this. I was also actually um, looking um, out the window, really trying to like keep the head in the right position. It's done in aerobar position to try and like really simulate being in position and not start flagging and going everywhere because the moment that happens, heart rate's going to go up further through no more power, but just the you know your body starts to go. If you can hold it together and think you can do that, it's hard. But I can do it, and if I had to do another one, I still would have been able to put it together. Make sense? Yeah, definitely. As I say, if you haven't seen the picture, you'll get Joe to tweet that, tweet yeah. that, that graph. It makes loads of sense when you see it. Yeah, here's one, and I don't know the exact reply. I haven't thought about it, I haven't looked at it, and I haven't seen it recently. I wonder if we can cobble up a, a, a question. It's from uh, Susan. I'm just going to say Susan. She knows who she is. You know who you are. Um, she's a client of mine. And she says, okay, if you're riding with a tailwind, are you better to sit more upright to catch more of the wind? Now, I think you've got to do a bit of thought about this, which is how much of a tailwind, okay? Because a tailwind can mean that you're getting pushed. But for you to really sit upright, wouldn't the tailwind have to be equivalent to the speed? So you're effectively just moving through the air at the same speed, which, you know, that means, right, you've got to be moving at 30 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour wind, which is pretty rare, because in a 30 mile an hour wind, you seem to go even faster, don't you? Like the, like the ships do, when they get yeah. a certain wind, yeah. they go faster than the wind. So the sail effect. Yeah, yeah, but it's almost like the effect of you being on a bike and having wheels means you travel faster than the wind. 
But I think if you've got a tailwind, the thing is, is that aerodynamics, depending on the extent of the tailwind, aerodynamics aren't unimportant because you are still you're still moving through air. You know, if it's a five mile an hour tailwind, you've got a tailwind, but that's not enough to take the dent that the majority of the wind is still hitting. Because yeah. if you're travelling at you know twenty five miles an hour, that doesn't make it doesn't make it feel like there's no headwind, it just makes it feel like it's slightly easier. And I think that you can you can sit more upright relative to speed. But if it's if it's uh, if it's a really, really gusty um, tailwind, actually I still think you've got to be um, able to first hand the bike. You've got to also notice that any change of sudden direction or the wind going away means aerodynamics comes back into play. It's not like a tailwind equals a back. That's what you said. By sitting upright, does that then increase your front end? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And does the two then A cancel each other out or does one produce more drag than the other, then if the tailwind is pushing you to sit up, right, surely the wind against yeah. you. Yeah, and I think the answer is, if you've got the right aero position, you can slightly change your posture. You notice this with the bio-racer system. People can just go into what's the right, ride relaxed, the head goes up a bit more, um, it's, it's rarely more than about 10 or 15 watts that their head position takes them up, but they're not trying to get their really good tone. However, with a tailwind, if you're still in a good aero position, you don't have to do as much work, but you can still be going quite quick. If you sit upright, there's no way that that's going to be making best use of that tailwind. So people with tailwinds, what they say is, wow, it just meant the headwind bit suddenly was paid back because you can work hard. And I know Susan being a triathlete, you don't try and work yourself to the maximum. But in time trials, sometimes people starting a race into a headwind will absolutely you know, blow themselves apart, knowing that when they get to the turn, they're going to be thrown back. It's relative. You know, If it's a headwind of 30 miles an hour, then you, you have to go like it's a five-mile race. Go five miles into the wind, turn back, and you're going to be thrown home. But your legs are going to be so spent, you're going to need to go home. With a triathlete, Headwind tailwind, you've got to be able to save energy. And if you sit up, there has to be a pretty damn good reason. You can sit up at aid stations, you can sit up at junctions and just like ease yourself back down. But if you've got a good position, there's no reason why with the tailwind you can't be going quite quick, but putting out less power. And the moment you go into a headwind, it's a slight change of posture and you drop the drag maybe 20 watts. But sitting up, I mean, we've got sit-up bikes straight in front of us, various uh, Scott and Focus kind of sit-up and bed bikes. You're, going to, you're not going to be very aerodynamic, even with a tailwind from those. You're still going to notice that you make a lot of drag. And that frontal area is quite big. Um, I guess if somebody's in the wrong position and they need to be looking for places to sit up, then that's a different issue in time. That is, um, you're not that comfy. Maybe it's saddle angle, maybe it's the length. Bars, maybe it's uh, insufficient training in that position, but I don't think ever, you know, sitting more upright is ever going to be a, a great benefit. But there may be times when you just want to ease your back, but enough of the tailwind. That's what I'm saying. It's actually 
question itself is pretty good from an aerodynamic view, I suppose. You know, the more you sit up, the more you, the more you catch, the more air you catch on the frontal area. Yeah. So the kind of the less you have gaining from a push. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your back is on a bike. Your back, your back is naturally more rounded. So you know, it's not like sailing, but it's square edge. It's something to lose and catch them before you get in that push. It's not actually a bad. You know, it's just, it's a good question from from the point of view of everybody's thought about it. Yeah. Well, surely it's a terrible, I can't remember anybody doing any research about that. I can't remember ever being uh, tested specifically, and I don't know. I don't know how you do it, but to me, any any position that you can't hold because it's too extreme actually goes back to. Um, do you need to sit up at any point? And I'll tell you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Or a good <laughs> idea to do yeah, it yeah, when you yeah, want to yeah, sit up. Yeah. And, and in which case, have you had your position optimised? Because you know there are people in varying positions. And having done one today, uh, so we are what the thirtieth of June, on the last day of June. Um, having done one today, the rider uh, is more aerodynamic now. They're actually sat further back, and they find it easier. Yet they drag slower. And they said, wow, that feels better, that's much better drag. Um, wow, kind of got both things out of it. I feel better on the bike and the drag has gone back. And in that case, that rider is going to find it easier to maintain that position. So I, I, I do think it comes back to the rider and their, you know, their ability to ride in the position and their setup. Because with a tailwind, if you're in the right area of position, you don't really want to sit up. But I tell you what, into a headwind, you want to squeeze every bit of your body into the smallest possible shape you can. Because in that instance, every little bit of shoulder squeezing and getting your head in the right place makes a big difference in speed. Because you're not going into a headwind, that means you're going slower, and that means you need to save every watt of energy. So to squeeze yourself in to get into position is more of an important thing as to do you momentarily sit up and tell. A good question. I like. That. Oh yeah, I think it was. Um, it was a good. It was kind of a good thing. I thought. I thought about that and wondered, and then gone off and seen has anybody done anything on it. And I, I don't think that people aren't interested or uh, people are uh, found it not to be that significant and it was stopped. I had a question. Can't remember who it's from, and they said, um, "What about uh, what about this uh, whole idea of?" Uh, Sort of dual uh, stimulation. So um, Andrew Talansky, the Eastside uh, Pro from uh, Canada, um, there was some online stuff, and he was using it. Looks like a set of headphones, but it, it stimulates um, parts of the brain. He gives a very good insight on how he uses it before sessions to prime the brain to be able to uh, ride hard efforts and so forth. And somebody said. Is there uh, is there any research? I've had a couple of studies, and just by coincidence, this came out uh, on an email and saying, "Oh, yeah, prior to the Tour de France, this guy's going to be using it. He's going to be using a warmer, so we interested to see if he makes it." Just as well with the other two teams that he used a warmer turbo with his looks like headphones. It's like, Ooh, Looks like little, uh, looks like the, the strap is like got loads of bits connecting to the head. It's not connected, but it's loads of little sensors. Um, I've not tried this uh, stimulation. I've only read very briefly into it, 
but it does seem to be a potential area where maybe it just you know, stimulates the athlete to be able to push the harder. He suggested that's what it does, it's that um, stimulation um, of, the, uh, of the areas of the brain that then help you to, to, to push harder there. And the system, I think, is something like seven, eight pounds. It's not the kind of thing that every age group does to go out by. I mean, there'll be probably the, you know, the novelty people that think it's the next thing that starts bread. But actually, it's probably an esoteric top athlete thing, whether they'll ever trickle down or they'll do a, you know, a cheaper version, or whether for some people with uh, neural difficulties post injury, something where it can find the brain that might work. But he was, you know, I guess he, uh, he got, he bought, he's part of, you know, working with him, but he and another of his teammates did say that they used to help and sometimes those things are used because they're the athletes and there's no to have a system that costs many dollars and give money to out straight up it and nobody else can put it on and go, don't make such a difference in fun. I've spent a lot of money Do those headphones pay me? I think they do, yes. Well, they do. Yeah. It's a lot of money for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, if they're, uh, if, they're, if they're listening then we're quite happy uh, Halo Neuroscience in, uh, in America, I'm quite happy to, uh, to give it a go. Um, I've signed up to, to newsletter, so there's the first book uh, call. But I think there might be something in it. The research said it's classically early days, some likely positive outcomes, but yet to be optimized. And one of those things that you never quite know. Uh, it did seem to be that there's a few studies, a few, that do show that potential. But again, it's, you know, it definitely is that that stack of things where we're talking about the top, the very top of the triangle, where you know, people's base training at the bottom and, and regular exercise, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, keeping in, uh, keeping in work stressed and uh, buying pretty good food and learning how to relax and doing the odd race. There's all that totally the bottom triangle. And whether these things at the very top of the triangle can make that big a difference. Like when it might be but we're not all going to walk around it. I love my tech, you know I yeah, so just about to say and I, one and, I, and I couldn't wait to try it set on but you realistically look at it and think, yeah, I've got some uh, some funky text coming out like it's good. But one of those things where you don't want to, don't want to end up being the, uh, you know, the, the sort of, uh, oh, it's the, it's the greatest thing in sports science ever, you know, it's a big, you know, the got great things like heart uh, monitors and carbohydrate-based things and, um, simple kind of big training dogs, but great things, we can jump past something that's, oh, yeah, but it's pro you must have that every day. Well, yeah, we do. we do. We kind of, and can you get it? And you go, well, yeah, we'll have a look into it. You have a look into it, find out who, maybe not the UK distributor, but the European or, or maybe the American distributor. And you say to them, well, it's about 800 quid. And you know, uh, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll stick listening to them using brushing my hair. But yeah, you do get it. And, and let's not, let's not poo-poo it because, you know, like Joe says, there's one man that enjoys a, a gadget, it's him. Yay! And, um, you know, you never know. 
10 years time we could be turning around and going, oh, that's pretty good. Now you can pick them up for 200 quid or 200 dollars or... Like all, like all the tech in Back to the Future and goes to... Uh, Goes to 2015. Uh, That's horrible. I got horrible, isn't it? Thanks, Michael. Good thoughts for that. Really? Yeah. 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 We were waiting, weren't we? Waiting for the calendar to click over, and they're like, oh, where's the hoverboards? And the, and the laces that do it themselves. They're starting to do that. Sort of. Sort of. Not the same, though. Not the same, though. No, not the same. No, no, no. Anyway. So this is completely different off camber, but lateral thinking fits this. Think laterally. This is. Thanks to Maria, she sent me this and I missed it. It was actually an article that I think was in one of the newspapers, I said Telegraph from my head. But it was about the Team New Zealand boat that the Americans cut and how they'd taken the normal guys that used their upper body and the user of the body. This team has got bikes, so there's all these guys who literally they look they look like they're on a like they're on a, a goodies tandem, you know, like a four-person tandem with one's one's head right on the other's backside. And it was it was summed up brilliantly by a guy saying, um, you know, what you know, what we've done taking this um, this concept and of course it's a very conservative area even within the technology in America's car. But he's so kind of said... Basically, what they do is they use the winch to wind in the sails. Yeah, sales. the sails, yeah. I want to say spinnaker, but that, that's kind of something that they've got smaller bikes, I know. And you normally see two guys, basically, almost head-to-head, -head, spinning their arms yeah. around as fast yeah. as they can. Yeah, and in, in this case, they've put guys on bikes. And, uh, and of course, there's been some friction, but it's the classic thing, take one sport and put some another, take something from, uh, you know, take something And the guy said it was a brilliant quote um, to Mark, the designer, but he said, um, uh, about sort of friction, he said, it's easy to understand, what would you do um, if you just spent a hard six months off-season conditioning to become a unit with big, huge shoulders and stick legs? Then some designer thinks that you should throw away the bench press and stick it to some life <laughs> Um, it really goes against the tradition of America's cup and drawn from sailing culture that has been going strong for 30 years. Thankfully, we took a rational scientific approach that let the numbers speak for themselves. So they're using um, you know, the bikes, uh, if you like, the, the, the sort of, um, uh, I suppose the, the specifics of being able to generate a lot of power um, through the legs instead of using it through the arms. Um, and he said, um, he added, uh, uh, he added that their research showed that there's an actual more um, aerodynamic, more aerodynamic than the traditional grinding, um, which was one of the other reasons um, proffered by teams who decided um, against using So it was like, you know, there's kind of toing and throwing as to what to use. The very fact that they had um, this idea of just taking bikes the next minute, we've all seen them using your arms and this team suddenly um, took uh, took like a completely uh, different view of what making for bike and he said um, um, uh, initial assumption one makes uh, turns out the aerodynamics of the cyclist is in uh, our view lower drag than grinding 
Um, we run the guys really tipped over like a time trial rider, lower than an upright grinder, which is why our helmsman and wing trimmer remain seated for 80% of the race. So they're actually even making, not only made them more effective as units because they can use a leg, but they're even making sure they stay in place to be an aerodynamic, almost, they're almost like taking the pursuit race there. Because they, they crack on, don't they? And the speeds of these things are pretty oh, yeah, quick. Rip them off the so you imagine, you imagine the on, difference yeah. between a guy sat up with great huge shoulders doing that and his arms moving, and their movement is all down below, so you can't even see it. So it's almost like the drag of the people is tucked inside the actual hole. I think this is, I read, I read about this, um, and Ben Ainsley was saying about his, they, they were looking at something very similar, but I think he turned around and said they didn't want to do it because it may jeopardise the maneuverability of their boat. Right. So it was a trade-off as such, which, which makes sense also with that, I suppose. But then if the boat spends most of its time in a straight line going fast, it can surely aerodynamics do yeah. It's good from a, yeah. like you said, the crossover for the different yeah. sports yeah. is... That was a slightly different one, oh, but yeah. this one, this is what, the last question, we'll do a quickie on this one. Um, we don't take it to the This is from Dan Holly, and he says, podcast question, exclamation mark. Crank length. Is there a guide to which length speed power? Thinking of those that pedal at lower slash higher cadence. So if you're a grinder, are you better using the cranks, etc., or just physiology solely uh, take? Um, been nagging me for ages. Plus, does it differ across road, TT, Great podcast. So I guess there's various ways of looking at that. My thought is a lot of the generalizations of crank length seem to work because of all the years of how people so we see for the most part that the average um, person, let's say, gets a bike and the bike crank length is often, it's often linked to the size of the bike. So you tend to get, you get uh, let's say it's uh, a large, it's a 56, 58 centimetre bike. What you get is cranks that mirror that, which would more likely be one centimetre and a half, possibly one centimetre bike. When you get a smaller bike, they're often a bit of 170s, maybe even 165s. And there is a proportionality to that, so the bike size, based on length and saddle height, does actually mirror what the length of the legs are of that rider. And if you have too short a crank, I know the idea is your legs go around a shorter distance, but also you've got slightly um, less than a lever. I know people can argue and I'm not the expert on lever, uh, lever length, sorry. Um, it is a point of compromise between do you want a really long lever and you push really slowly or do you want something that goes on quickly. Plus, differences, you know, differences between road, TT, mountain bike. Are the road, I mean is road just riding or is it road high crits where you want potentially a bit more clearance because of forming. TT is a TT or to try. Do you want to have uh, or follow the um, craze, you know, the crank craze, or it's going to make a little difference to your uh, time and traffic. And then mountain bike, you don't want too long a crank. 
because the fact that you are spinning more, you've got to have a better control of the bike. And if it is just too long a crank, what you can end up doing is have too much force and not enough suppress. So there is that compromise, you know that. There's a compromise between what you can ride on the road and what uh, cranks you can actually ride off-road. And people that pedal at lower, higher cadences, what would you say? Well, I, I, I don't think I don't think anyone pedals lower higher cadences. They choose to pedal how they want. So I can go out and say, right, I, I need to spin a bit more. Let's keep that. You know, let's try and keep it 95 to 100. Or I can sit there, and go right. I'm going to ride out to such a hill, and I'm going to push some 55, 60 rev grinding power workouts. And the right crank is probably proportional to your bike size. You don't, you don't get a small one that's got 172 pounds. What? That's way over. Or the manufacturers have done, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. They've done it. But it's sometimes when people have cobbled a bike together and they've just, you know, somebody's given them a crank, they put it on a bike, and like, blimey, have you seen how high up your legs go on the upstroke? What are those cranks? Oh, I don't know. I just got them off of somebody and they put the wrong cranks on the bike because it's not actually. So I think there are certain. Uh, manufacture-based, I don't think they're you know, complacent, I don't think they are just giving you what they've got, it is based quite a lot on the hard and fast, long-term, you know, long-term sort of like view of, uh, of what your proportional size is. Frankly, I've gone up to, I've still got some Dura-Ace 180s, and gone down to, I've never gone to 165, to I mean, I've got really long legs, I don't want to spin that six five. That would really make my legs feel quite constrained. Um, maybe if you have short legs, they could feel one six or less. I don't think super short makes sense. I've still yet to see that actually hold the products. And the difference between mountain bike and road and TT depends on exactly what type of those sports you're doing and how much you need clearance, how much you need a change of cadence, do you need a metronome. There's probably a lot of people that need to vary the cadences, they need to do low strength cadences, they need to do higher speed stuff, but I don't I don't think it's as confusing. No, and I've done a bit of testing with the mountain bikes. Yeah. In the crank so back in, oh good lord, so this was back in the days of running triple chains. Whoa! We swapped from 175s to 170s, and because there's other factors for mountain biking that make the cranking work or not work. So number one being the gear, number two being the wheel size. You have to take into account. You don't have to really worry about road yeah. or TT. We found that running, I found, sorry, that running a shorter crank with a smaller wheel just didn't work. You couldn't, okay. All that happened was you, you, you basically developed quite a bit of torque and the rear wheel just ran up on, on the loose stuff, the steep stuff. Yeah. Now things have changed and we're starting to go towards obviously the wheels, whether it's between seven and a half to nine inch wheels. A lot of the gearing has changed to allow them to accommodate the bigger wheels. Um, also the gearing structure has changed. So you know they've oh, gone tell from, me about gearing structure. So they've gone from triple, so three rings on the front, you know, to probably having nine gears on the back, to then switching to doubles on the front. To come stepping up to 10 speed to then change into single ring on the front with 
10, 11 or 12 screws in the back. Again, coupling that with gear ratios to wheel sizes, um, a lot of the crank sizes have dropped. So they've gone from the standard 175, most of them have dropped to 170, right? Um, I've now used a 170 and a 175 for a uh, 29er. And I prefer, I used to think I preferred a 175. Having ridden with the 175s and the 170s, I now prefer a 170 on that. But going back to the days of the triples and the smaller wheels, I couldn't get on with a 170 at all. Right. So sometimes it works depending on what else has changed. Yeah. So with road bikes, the good thing is most your legs haven't changed, have they? They yeah. certainly haven't got long enough. No. But um, you know, I would say I was of a general height. But on a road bike, I've used the 170 and a 172 for five, yeah. and I wouldn't say that I've noticed Right, right. And I think you know, I think I think there's a certain amount of, of uh, fluidity between I've got bikes I sit Overthinks that's a problem with but having a machine that lets you sit in various places in the right? and doing various things. And if you have an inverted commas expert check over the cranks of the portion to the leg, there's no issues that it's almost like you're saying it wasn't wrong, but the evolution point has changed. It may be that some people will invariably have maybe shorter planks generally. You know, a lot of bikes um, come in at 170, 175, and it's used to be 170. It's the shortest you get. You've got a 170, a little bit of experience, it can sometimes be you get on with it and you don't realise, oh yeah, those cracks are short. There's no, there's no mysterious missing what's or performance issues as long as the bike does close enough to do it. It's got clearance, you don't look and so feel like the legs can be up too high, more of the issue, um, or that. Uh, or if there's something fundamentally wrong with, like, say, the power of the in, it's not just this heaving, great blow, cadence, pedal strength. There's a certain amount of suppressive fluidity to it. And you can learn that on whatever size packs. But don't think it, maybe. Just get it checked out and realise that crank length is proportional to the manufacturer's initial recommendation. It's Great if somebody's selling it as a price specific, like super short planks that they can sell. But for most people, I think your leg length, bike size, plank probably pretty well guessable by most people. But you know, certainly in you know, the 5mm window, say that's fine. You, know, you don't need it down to the 2.5mm specific point. It's not, you know, like a bike to 175, 172, 
but it's nothing worse than somebody going, oh yeah, I've got a long bank song, I'm just going to get up to that meal. I don't think it, that really isn't going to change. Well, I do. don't get the skin tired on it. Let's not start with tires. Yeah, don't, don't start with tires. I tend to think my tires are going to be good. Because I won't tell the reason. Um, we've done a lot of questions, and it's great to have the uh, feedback from the listeners. Good questions, good emails, tweets, etc., etc. I'm going to leave a thing about the gut and feeding the next time. It's not super time-sensitive. It's uh, quite interesting. It's certainly something I've noticed in the moment. There's suggestions that I have. I'll tie it in with the part of the podcast and I give people some pretty money. <laughs> well, sort of. Well, cash back. Sort of. Um, some um, information learned from coaching that is free to the people, i.e. stuff that people could, could say that uh, you, know, you just sit in and give general advice by the class and so this is going to be some specific this is what we do, this, this, and this. So it's down to you know, the specifics of it. This is, this is advice that you can use as opposed to generalization of, oh, you need to work the cracks, you know, you know, you have to, oh, you'll find it take down. So we'll put that in next time. But we've had great variety of questions. They have been very season uh, relevant, but then we're in our season. Um, this is in Australia, but at the same time, we can still learn and be reminded, and sometimes even mid season, having talked to people, sort of feel like the season start, don't worry about having a kickback. And like sometimes the offices of people like to do, to do it around Christmas or like Christmas, oh, I just want to do something. The same in the season, you can go back to a bit of base, chill out. Might be connected with your holiday, but you do you know, less training, no training, and just when you get away from competition, just go back to but you can you know, throw in hard marks if you want, and just do stuff, but just also recharge the right. The second part of the season is where you go. Don't start thinking if you were competing from the March half marathon, the April triathlon, just going home, going in, there'll be a point where you just get to the season, and not even there yet. This is really a run out of. Face miles, motivation, and really a generally payback time. Payback time doesn't just come in October, it comes out of the season. That's the secret tip. Do the odd, I'm not going to train this weekend, you'll get quite a new points by the Brazilian. Brazilian, absolutely. So we appreciate the reviews and the ratings on iTunes. Um, Martin, don't go in my names, I'm working on iTunes. Oh, right. yeah. I can't sign in. No, no. Uh, please contact us with questions if you do it via the tweets and only say when you're going to do the next podcast and you can provide that to that. You can go to the contact page at facebook.com. You can tweet at Safeboard Racing and uh, probably click on that. And uh, I do like it if you tweet probably to Safeboard Joe. Right? Really <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Instagram is for the uh, the sneak peek pictures. So look at uh, slash or at Instagram and follow us. Facebook, we're there. So forth, uh, I'm there. Thank you once again for listening. This is podcast 
154 signing out. Not just yet. Oh! Joe, Joe likes it when I go off script. So, <laughs> I will walk, I'm, I'm actually walking around while I do that. Why has he gone off script for? Um, there is, Joe hates this. No, I'm sorry. Um, Joe has a birthday. Oh no! It's, I haven't got your birthday cake. And the rustling you could hear is something that I've got for Joe. And it's, 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 it's in a minute ago when I was trying to do about the kite mates. If you listen back, you'll hear me talking to myself because he just disappeared out the room, <laughs> and I had to make it up as I was going along, saying Crocker, don't you know, talking to nobody that was there. But actually, I might get used to talking to nobody that was there. I'm just saying Crocker. It's quite entertaining because Joe does it to me sometimes when he's when he maybe. Got to have a water break, or he's got a, a, and I mean a drink. A drink, yeah, thank you. Um, Cheers. And of course, there's just me gabbering on, and, and I, I feel the urge to ask a question, and I'm like, oh, I can't go there. So, Joe's got a a birthday coming up very soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have, yes. And my twin brother, actually. And well. his twin brother, yeah. funny enough, he's got and the same my, birthday. And my, and my son, my son shares his birthday as well. Yeah. And they're, they're, well, they're all, oh, I've only got one person. Oh, so I do apologise. Uh, is, um, is, it, is it that car outside? <laughs> you can have that one. Then you can have my back. Oh, that one's just pulled up. No, so I got Joe a relatively inexpensive present, but it's just a present none, none, nonetheless. So uh, Joseph is uh, of a certain age um, this year. This year, yeah, in a couple of days' time. And all I wanted to do was just present him the present, and hopefully Joe can put a picture. On I will, of that, course, of put is. a picture of, uh, of you first showing me the present. Which has got, which is totally shocked because I thought he hasn't got an order. He suddenly realised if he doesn't remember now, go next door and pick it up. He'll forget to take it home. Little did I know you were actually firstly making me do the podcast on my own, but secondly, <laughs> you're getting me a present. Yes, and I feel very embarrassed. Well, don't be so much. So, um, um, do there... I open it now or do I? Open it? I would say for the people the oh right the, yeah. Well, you, you can if you if it, if it. Why don't I? Why don't I put a, a podcast picture out later on the? Uh, and then when I open it up on the I'll be able to... Uh, you, you, you can see through it, so you're going to be able to know what it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, because the expensive wrapping paper, <laughs> it looks a bit like bubble wrap with some standard brown tape, brown tape on it, which actually was very arty, very arty. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's Anytime. really kind. And the fact you've actually recorded this is nonetheless even more embarrassing. So Henry, don't get rid of this bit, Henry. So thank you. We must say thank you, Henry, once again for the podcast. Leave this bit on at the end, Henry, because you are the genius that puts this together and gets all of the uh, all of that swearing in the middle, proper when you go off on one. It's it's yes, but there's there's not many times in your life where you reach this level of age. Or only once. Well, yes, you, funny enough, you only reach every birthday once, unless you're going back to the future again and doing it all over again. So thank you very much. So. Thank you, listeners. Um, if you did contribute to this huge prize, <laughs> this huge present, I should say, that Martin's got, then thank you, each uh, each three of you. Um, each one of you. Each one of you. 155 will be recorded in uh, July. It'll be the back end of July. It's uh, 1.5 million. But I will be doing that for about the third week, so I'll do it very last week. Um, at which point I may have got over the shock of I think that present didn't just I I didn't think you could get like trying to think of something. You're damn right you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you listeners. We will be back in a month's time. Keep listening and remember 
Train smart. No, it's tough. Have fun. Have fun.